Hello everyone, my name is Jared Altick and I'm a chaplain with the police department. The Hey Chaplain podcast brings you stories and wisdom about life and law enforcement, giving support and encouragement to those who wear the badge. Here's a special treat for you. We're going back into the Hey Chaplain archives to listen to a previously unpublished portion of the interview with David Renfro. David was featured in episode 16, where he talked about his career as a federal agent working for TICTA. Today we'll hear the other part of that interview, where he talked about his career as a reservist in the Army Criminal Investigation Division, the Army CID. And then after the interview, we'll be joined by Matt Rayburn, who was also in the Army with David and sheds a little bit more light on what the CID does. Here's David Renfro. David, glad to have you here today. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Glad to talk to you. Uh, You started out in the Air National Guard. Did you do any law enforcement work in Air National Guard? I did. Um, So the reason I I started my career there, because I knew I wanted to be in law enforcement, but at 18 or 19, you can't work in civilian law enforcement. Sure. I don't remember who it was, but I had a friend that told me about the Air Force Security Police that they were in, in, in the National Guard, and that sounded great, a good way to get started. So... I signed up for that. That was the beginning of my law enforcement career. So Air Force Security Police uh, back then. Right. I went through the Air Force Security Forces Academy, Security Police Academy. That was my first academy, and I was 19 years old. And, oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it all validated what I knew. I mean, I loved it. It was it was great. That was... Now, how early on in that military experience were you introduced to the CID and the idea of maybe going into something like the the Criminal Investigative Division? That was a little longer on. Um, I Again, I started, I was 19, and I knew I wanted to be in civilian law enforcement, and that was, that was a good way to get started. At the time, I wasn't thinking, you know, investigations, and I really didn't know anything about CID. Um, but... Uh, I was on the the police department later on, and mm-hmm. many of the uh, of the officers, several of the officers were uh, were in the CID unit uh, there locally, okay. and they they were telling me how great it was being a federal agent and and the protection and and all the things they got to do. So uh, when my enlistment was up in the Air Force, I knew I wanted to to switch over to the Army CID there, and I, at the time I didn't even really think about OSI, which is the Office of Special Investigations for the airport, which is the sister agency for Army right. CID. Right. Um, so I, I jumped over into that CID unit, uh, which, you know, at the time I thought was great. And then a few years later when I was deployed to Iraq for a year, I, I was questioning <laughs> that decision. But Yeah, because that's specifically, that was a move from a Air National Guard unit to Army Reserves. Right. So, yeah, so, so I went from the Air Force to the Army, which a lot of people have looked at that and said, you're doing that backwards, <laughs> but it was specifically to get into the CID unit and become a CID agent because, right. uh, you know, as I progressed a little bit in law enforcement, I, I knew that the, the federal side, I could see a lot of benefits to, to going. As much as I enjoyed the local law enforcement, um, looking long-term, there, there are a lot of benefits for going into federal law enforcement. Right. Right. Now, with the CID, there's several components, but a couple of them are the protection side of things, or you're protecting, you're doing like Secret Service type work for a general or for somebody who works in the Department of Defense or something right. like that. And then there's also the investigation side of it. Was there one or the other that drew you more, or did that change over time? 
So when you join CID, you could do either or and both in a lot of cases. Um, it was it was a dual path. Um, so CID agents could be, and and I spent a year um, as an investigations team chief at Fort Riley, and then a year in investigations in Iraq as a, as well. But then when I I did a year mobilization up to uh, to DC to our protective service battalion, and it is the same um, the same job as the Secret Service. We're we're high level dignitary protection, so we have this the same the same uh, everything. Basically, CID, CID and the Secret Service do the same thing for different principles. Okay. And uh, when, when I did that for a year, I really enjoyed that part of it more more so than the investigations at that point. So. I I then got assigned directly to the Protective Service Battalion where I've been for the past ten or eleven years. Right. And so all I do for CID is protection missions. Okay. And you had a year where specifically you were like with the travel team for the Secretary of Defense, right? Right. So I mobilized uh, for a year in two thousand nine to two thousand ten up to do full time, uh, be a full time agent, and I was assigned to the travel team for uh, then the Secretary of Defense was Robert Gates. So for that year, all I did was was travel uh, in advance of wherever the Secretary was going to be and set up the security. Then when he landed, the team there, we would pick him up and provide you know protection for him wherever he was at, and then he would leave and go to the next place. That was a lot of fun because I went to a dozen different countries. Sure. Sure. And uh, got to see all kinds of things that you wouldn't wouldn't get to see, you know, high level meetings, lots of dignitaries from other countries because that's where he was traveling, and right. that was a very enjoyable job. But it was a, a year away from the family, yeah. and so that part was that part was hard. Yeah, yeah. So you ended up earning a warrant officer slot. Uh, was that um, how did that work out? Is that a is that a path that? That every sergeant takes, or is that a? I mean, how does that work in that in the CID? And so for the Army, it, it's not CID specific. So for the right. Army, um, you have the enlisted right. ranks, you have the officer ranks, and then you have a warrant officer ranks, which are which are sort of in between those. So warrant officers are commissioned officers, just like lieutenants, captains, mm-hmm. um, but we're specialists. Yeah. Whereas a lot of helicopter pilots are warrant officers. Right. Yeah. And there's on the warrant corps, there's aviation and then there's technical warrants. And so okay. uh, if you're not a pilot, obviously, you're a technical warrant. And the difference between a warrant officer and a general officer is general officers are general in in their scope of knowledge. They, okay. they, they're not technical and tactical experts, which the warrant officers are. And warrant officers are assigned as um, assigned to whatever your career field is to be the technical expert in that career field and to advise, uh, advise commanding officers, general officers on the specifics of, of whatever your career field is. So the warrant officers are the experts in their career field. And for okay. CID, the warrant officers are the experts in criminal investigations and okay. protection. So that's probably a good retention move to to keep somebody who's good at being an investigator in that investigative job more than just a couple years. I sure, mean, yeah. yeah. And, and in CID, if you stay as an enlisted uh, agent, by the time you hit E7, Sergeant First Class, then you're you're going to be pushed in a lot of cases into a more administrative role, mm. uh, detachment sergeants, uh, command sergeant majors, that sort of thing, where you're not doing the hands-on investigations or the hands-on protection. You're 
uh, sort of overseeing, and it's it's much more administrative focused. Right. Whereas a warrant officer, um, you can stay hands on in the job, and you're you're the the team chiefs, the the te- the detachment special agent in charge, uh, or or um, detachment commanders. But you you definitely stay stay more on the doing side of things as opposed to the administrative side of excellent. things. Excellent. Okay. What are the the uh, pros and cons of being in the CID? I mean, you, we talked about there's the investigative side. Let's talk about that first. If you're at a place like Fort Riley or whatever, what? how is that comparable? How does that compare and contrast to like being a uh, police officer in a, in a similar sized town? So, so CID is tasked with investigating felony level crimes hmm. that affect the Army. Uh, so, for example, at Fort Riley, you know, any death investigations, homicides, suicide, accidental deaths will be investigated by CID. Okay. Um, sexual assaults, um, you know, robbery, burglary, all of the, all of the same things that a detective in a police department will will look at. Okay. High, felony level. Uh, more serious crimes, that is CID's purview. And CID is also a little different because you're a soldier, but you're also a sworn federal law enforcement officer. Oh. So you're, you, you're kind of dual-hatted in that. Okay. Um, whereas, and it's the same for NCIS and the same for OSI, uh, for the Air Force, and NCIS is for the, the Navy and the Marines. Um, Coast Guard has CGIS, the Coast Guard Investigative Service. So right. um, more serious crimes... Uh, felony level crimes, whereas, for example, at Fort Riley, the the less serious crimes, misdemeanor, what would be classified as misdemeanor crimes, uh, the military police investigators, okay, MPI, they'll they'll investigate that, and they can be MPs or or civilians uh, in a lot of cases now. Okay, at CID, uh, the difference is it's it's serious uh, serious felony level crimes. Okay. Okay. What about the protective services side of things? When you're doing that, you said it was so interesting. You got to go places in advance of the Secretary of Defense. But that time away and the time focused on such a very narrow, specific task, was that, how do you feel that did for you personally? Was that, was that good for you as an investigator to take some time off and do something else? <laughs> was, it, was it bad for you? Was it, what, what do you? How do you feel about that? It's definitely a completely different uh, mindset, a completely different, uh, different gear to task. be in. Yes, yeah. but it's you still are, exp- and and in protection, it's it's basically a no fail mission. You can't you can't have a bad day. You can't let one principal get you know right. kidnapped right. or you know. So it it's a no fail mission. So while it it was fun, the traveling and seeing things and you know working with uh, host nation governments setting up security, it's also it's also very stressful, and uh, I know that that uh, you know my family or, or friends. I talk about the exciting stuff. So after missions, it's at some point you know I would send pictures of all the of all the beautiful places I got to go, and right. and, and when the principal leaves, typically um, we're we're leaving the next day. So when the principal's gone, the mission's done. You get to go out and see things. So I get to you know go explore the pyramids in, in sure. Egypt, and yeah. and so. Um, looking at it, not not seeing the part that I didn't share, it looks like I'm just on permanent vacation. <laughs> you know, pictures right, on the right, beach and, right. and all sorts of things. But uh, it's definitely while you're setting up and while it's going on, that there's a there's a good bit of stress there because you just sure. you know you you have to prepare and. 
be vigilant and train as if there's someone that is wanting to, you know, yeah. attack your principal. Yeah. And uh, so thankfully, uh, you know, there were no, uh, I, I didn't, I don't have any good war stories and those are not the kind of right. stories you no. want. <laughs> Hopefully you don't have any. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> right. There's, there's plenty of, uh, you know, more, you know, embarrassing or, or, or funny stuff that happened, but, um, you know, the mission of, of protecting your principal, you're protecting them not just from assassination and kidnapping, which are the two big ones, but you're also protecting them from embarrassment, right. embarrassing themselves or embarrassing their country. Right. So there's, when you see the secret service, for example, around the president and where you see other protective details, um, you want it to look smooth. You want it to look imposing. Mm-hmm. You want it to look impenetrable. But if you knew the goings on underneath, it's like the analogy of the duck on the pond. It's it's can be quite hectic. Right. But you right. have to make it look like it's not. Right. And so, uh, yeah, the, the the stress level in that job can be very high when the when you're the principal's there for sure. So was that was that maybe good then to? to alternate back and forth between investigating, you know, deaths and whatever versus protecting a VIP. Was that variety maybe good for you career-wise and, and like, personal health-wise? I I enjoyed it. I, okay. I've always, as you know, I've always wanted to be in law enforcement. I enjoyed the law enforcement side. But after, um, and, and I'm sure as you've talked to, to many other law enforcement officers, at some point, you, you know, you don't want to feel like you get in a rut. And right. I... I right. certainly uh, can look at my career, and I've not ever been in a rut. Um, <laughs> it's not just taking a left or a right. It's always been moving forward right. and learning another discipline. And uh, and then, you know, after doing that for a while, if there's there's so many opportunities and something else opens up. So CID has been very good for that on, on for me. I wouldn't have wanted to stay doing the investigations every because that, that takes a toll as well. I mean, you're dealing right. with, you know absolutely the worst uh the worst in humanity and yeah. seeing the worst things and that that takes a toll as any police officer will tell you and being in protection i'm not responding to you know death and and all kinds of horrible things all the yeah. time so i absolutely am thankful that i i've gotten to do that and you know the protective side some cid agents don't want to do it they mm. get into it they they're assigned there they have to do it and they'll do a good job but they want to get back into investigations, and I have not wanted to get back into the investigation side. Right, I'm, right. On on the civilian side, as we'll talk about, I, I I've done, I I got to do the investigations, and I still right. did. But uh, I I was very happy to get into the protective side, and and I that's where I wanted to stay. Matt, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Jared. Good, good. Um, so you listened to David's interview. What did you think of his comments about his experience in Army CID? Um, I know, you know, with David, he was actually that year he was activated at Fort Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he worked with me. Um, okay. I was a team chief there at the time, so he and I worked very closely. So I talked with him about a lot of his experiences, you know, where he had been in the, uh, you know, Air Guard and then also about his deployment because he had previously been a year downrange. Right. And he and I really were downrange about the same time. I just didn't run into him uh, where <laughs> sure. I was at. So I was kind of roving all over Iraq. He mentioned doing like an accident investigation. Mm-hmm. Was that typical of the kind of things you worked on? Yeah. At that time, we were doing 
all the felony investigations, but we were sure a lot of times covering for all the services as well, particularly suicides, um, even yeah. friendly fire deaths. At the time, there was a mentality that since President Bush had announced the cease of combat operations, that any further actions were were trying to be worked as murders within the Iraqi criminal court. So when IEDs would go off and units were attacked, we're, we're trying to identify that, uh, you know, and see if we could get those individuals identified. And a lot of times they were already rounded up and at Abu Ghraib. Um, so right. they were questioned, you know, there as well. So Okay. Now, forgive me. I don't know. Were you an NCO or warrant officer or commissioned officer? Uh, uh, warrant officer. Okay, so okay, so you're both you and David both were warrant officers uh, in the army yes. in the in the CID. Okay, correct. And so David seemed to prefer the protection assignments, doing VIP protection, but that wasn't your experience in the CID, right? No, no, I had really no protection mission experience whatsoever. Okay, um, other than doing some local support as missions might have come in, you know, principals were coming in to visit a location and, you know, their advanced team had come in for, you know, intel and meet and greet and if they needed, you know, any support right. from there. Right. But no, I, I didn't have an assignment with uh, protection whatsoever. And So you did primarily like felony investigation in the Army. Correct. That was your primary thing. Uh, any particular highlights over the course of your career that, you know, you found interesting? Um. <laughs> Yes, I mean a lot of them. Uh, there, you know, there's always you ha- always have those great cases where you know you feel you really brought justice. Yeah, um, and and then that fact that we did investigate all death investigations that occurred on the military installation because, you know, in the end we were there to investigate on behalf of the United States Army. Right. So even if prosecutors said, "Hey, we're not taking this case to court," or there's no criminal offense, right. we were still charged to investigate on behalf of the Army. Sure. So. We, it was good and bad in, in, in some of the criminal cases as well. Whereas you would, you know, your our counterparts in the civilian, local law enforcement and federal, if their prosecutor said this isn't going forward, they dropped the case. Right. But we continued with these cases, even if we didn't have victim cooperation. So at times there was some negative aspects to that, but it was all on the behalf of the army. Hmm. Uh, but those those cases where you know. Maybe you actually help a family. You know, someone's unfortunately taken their own life. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was at the onset. No one wants to believe that their son or daughter, their loved one, could do that. Right. Um, and as you kind of walk through there and bring them the, you know, bring them to a closure, point of information, um, help them get all the, all the reports, and let them see that hey, I am not here to cover up because that was always kind of the, yeah, know, the, the first thing you hear. Yeah. Right. Is yeah. that you're that you know I was a. I was a company man for the army, and I was there to sweep it under the rug. Absolutely not. We're there to lift the rug up, so you yeah. can see. Yeah. Um, and you know, we would work with the commanders as well because they'd have their requirements and have their fifteen six officers that was assigned to try to identify some things within the unit. But you know, in the end, we brought all that together, and it, you know, then becomes part of the records repository. Mm-hmm. So if down the road someone wants to say, "Hey, the army did this," well, here's the records you can. You can um, right. request them. Right. You know, right. They, they may be redacted, but, um, you know, and, and, you know, lots of experiences like that. Um, and it's always great seeing someone that uh, is predatorial on children. Yeah. You know, that day that you sit in court and you hear that they're getting sentenced. Yeah. That's always a great feeling. 
feel like you did good and and uh, made a difference. That's important in any area of law enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I mean, over over an eighteen year period, there's there's quite a few of those. Um, you know, and there's some unique stories that probably wouldn't be appropriate for this uh, <laughs> this forum. <laughs> there's always those. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of great you know great times with that. And a lot of hard work to get there. Sure. Um, so, what, was it common to experience what you experienced, where you stayed almost entirely on the investigation side? Because I've had I've had the impression that that the CID folks get moved over, you know, and they kind of have to switch hats over to protection, and that sometimes that's even problematic. That you know, well, I'm, I can't focus on this job because I keep getting moved over to this other job. Right? What, was it common for people to stay in one one field and and be there the whole time? There was different viewpoints, and it really depended who, kind of what the, I guess the leadership, sure, and some of the senior senior warrants or assignment warrant thought at the time, because there was a belief that, kind of one camp that you needed it was about being balanced, and you ah. needed that assignment to be balanced. And a lot of times you might get that as an, sure, as an NCO, but it, you know my concern getting that as a warrant officer is that it's a te- very technical job, yeah, um, and as the Warrant officer, you're supposed to be that technical expert in the field. Yeah, you're supposed and to be specialized, being, right? And you're pulling right, and yeah. you're pulling out someone from investigations for three years as a W one, W two, and then you bring them back, and all of a sudden they're expected to be in charge of a team. And policies changed, federal laws have changed, sure. UCMJ's changed, sure. uh, and their heads spinning. So especially if they go to a smaller office, you know the way the offices were set up. If it was something smaller, it, it could have even more of an impact, but. Okay. So the CID is in the process of you know, being transformed into a mostly civilian uh, federal law enforcement agency. It, it, now, I know you're not in it now, but do you think that'll help? Will that improve things? I think it definitely has the likelihood to improve things. One, it just brings kind of the stability to the folks there. Hmm. You know, that's that was the thing uh, as I went around and as you would get to know detectives and and federal law enforcement agents in the areas that you were at, um, they were very apprehensive at first to get to know you, to work with you. They didn't know your background. They didn't know your history. Because right. where a lot of these, a lot of these individuals, you know, once they joined a police force, they stayed at that police force. And maybe they did their patrol time. Now they're a detective and they're a supervisor, but they've been there. And um, maybe they've moved around from a local PD to a county, but in that area and they know right. the area. Right. And that was just that piece that we, you know, moving every warrants typically moved every three years enlisted. A lot of times were as, as soon as two years uh, they were moving. So just having that familiarity with folks and with an area even because yeah. um, everything's a little bit different, you know, especially when it comes to federal jurisdiction on, you know, a U.S. territory, especially when you're dealing with kids and there's no, there is no code of law for kids federally. And you're trying to apply that, you know, because you do have child offenders that happen, you know, juvenile defend offenders and mm-hmm. trying to figure all that out. So, so if there were severe cases, occasionally we would get local prosecutors to pick them up. Right. Um, but again, you know, there just wasn't the, you know, juvenile justice within the, you know, you know the federal government. It's not meant for that. That's meant for the state. But right. it's a unique enclave here in the middle of a particular state. So, and your thinking is that a that a civilian employee who's got more stability probably going to be there longer. That yes. that in theory they're they gonna, would have better connections to well, prosecute gonna, that kind right. of thing better. 
Right. Well, they're going to be able to build those relationships, build those relationships with the county prosecutors, with the local law enforcement. And, and you know, it's great to have things written down like this is how it should work. But still, there's a, you know, there's, there's still a lot of tacit knowledge mm-hmm. to, especially when it's come to relationships and building those bridges. Um, and it takes a lot of work, you know, when you run an office and try to build those bridges with your local law enforcement on all on the local levels, the county level, the state level, federal level, um, and make it a big, you know, make sure you're in that partnership. Sure. Let me back up a, a little bit and ask, why did you get into Army CID? Well, I came in like a breech baby into CID, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> so it was a unique opportunity, and I'll, you know, I'm forever grateful for the, the opportunity. But uh, originally, I was, you know, in college. Uh, I joined the Army Reserves. I spent eight years in the Army Reserves. I was a high school history teacher and coached, you know, football and girls track and wrestling. And I was four years into that, and I joined active duty to go to flight school. Hmm. And I was three quarters of the way through flight school, but I had some flight control issues. So ended up doing a branch transfer over to CID. They took me in. It was, you know, I was right as I came in, I was, you know, about a year and a well, about a year into being a warrant officer because I, I was, went directly as a warrant. Right. Um, so I had a, a steep learning curve. So no law know. enforcement background before this? No. Oh, wow. No. Okay. Okay. And that's the unique thing about CID is, I mean, th- that it was an open transfer for anyone. And there was kind of, you know, again, about that blend. It wasn't all just MPs that came over to be right. agents. Right. Uh, okay. We got, it was a feeder from all MOSs. So, you know, if you had someone stealing from supply systems, you know, you, you try to figure out in your office, like, hey, you were supply, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I was. Oh, all sure. right. Come here. Sure. You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and you'd have a lot of folks like that. So it was a unique kind of a background. Okay. Okay. So, so back to the transition CID is going through, in your opinion, will they always need to have some uniformed personnel in the office in order to properly investigate the Army? Um, I mean, you know, can, can a totally civilian group do that effectively? I can't say one way or the other. I think it could. Okay. But the one thing you're going to run into is while there's mobility agreements, people can still quit their job. Like if it comes to deployments, things like that. Right. Whereas a green suitor, you don't, you don't get that choice. No, you, <laughs> you, know? you have to go where you're hey, told. Pack, That's right. Pack your AV bags, you're going, <laughs> you know? So right. there is that aspect. I think what we're really going to see is... There's kind of some there's levels of bureaucracy that's being cut out of the what was in place when I was in. Okay. This is putting law enforcement in charge of CID, where the folks in charge were MP officers. There wasn't necessarily always a law enforcement background okay. there. Okay. So removing bureaucracy and keeping, you know, having leadership, you know, that comes from the right point of view, I mean that that's probably gonna be helpful, right? Right. Make it more and, and, effective. Right. Yes, and it's going to look more like NCIS. I mean, okay. the civilian director hired was former like deputy director for NCIS. Okay. So you're, they're going to mirror each other. Excellent. I, Excellent. I do believe, in my opinion. Will Army CID eventually get their own TV show? You know, they were supposed to. They actually had it. <laughs> oh, they did I, a, I didn't know. They did, yeah. a, they did a pilot series, <laughs> and it, it was called uh, uh, CID Delta. Okay. And but then there wasn't just there just wasn't support for it from oh, I Army it. CID. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe civilians would get the Hollywood producers back in the back in the room again. Right, right. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a good thing or not. But yeah, you know, and 
Well, and when you try to explain Army CID to folks that really don't know the military, and you're like, well, you've seen NCIS. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, and you know Jethro Gibbs, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I did. Right, right. Just not, just not quite that as cool as him. It's <laughs> <laughs> usually the, the Hollywood version usually has more explosions and gunfights and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and you know. Less they, paperwork. They, yeah. <laughs> they solved everything in 45 minutes in one episode. So That's exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> I got all their lab results back in the field on the fly. So <laughs> that's not, That wasn't your experience? <laughs> no. <laughs> not at all. That's excellent. That's excellent. Okay. Hey, thank you. Thank you for your service. And thank you for, for talking to me about Army CID. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. I've been sitting on the Army CID part of David's interview for almost six months, and I'm so happy to get to share that unique side of law enforcement with you. And thank you to Matt Rayburn for adding so much. I had a great conversation with him. You can learn so much about a person by talking to his Army buddies. And don't worry, David, Matt only said good things about you at least while we were recording. If you've worked in investigations in the military or as an MP, I'd like to hear from you. Perhaps you're local law enforcement. You've got the chance to partner with military investigators from time to time. Please contact me at the Hey Chaplain Facebook page and tell me about your experiences. I want to share your stories, and especially if you have wisdom to share about thriving in law enforcement, I want other cops to hear what you have to say. If you like what you heard here, please share this episode with a cop or someone who loves a cop on the next episode of Hey Chaplain. And after the funeral, we couldn't get Carolyn to uh, answer a phone call. She wouldn't answer a knock at her door. She wouldn't respond to any notes that we sent her. So one day I said to the chief, I said, um, Chief, do you know how Carolyn Claggett's doing? And he says, yeah, she's doing fine. And I said, you know, we've sent her, sent her cards, calling her, dropping by her house. She won't answer the door. You really think she's fine? He goes, oh, my gosh, yes, we know she's fine. And I said, how do you know that? He said, on the day that we buried Rusty, I gave, him, gave her my card and said, if you ever need any help, call us. Oh and my. she's never called. Oh, The views expressed here are the personal views of our host and our guest and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components or the Department of Defense or its components. Thank you for listening today. And as always, pray for peace in our city. <laughs>